Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of the Ocean Decade Show, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gales, and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the Ocean Decade. As many of you know, and I think I've probably mentioned it a few hundred times, um, I'm a social scientist by training, which means my engagement with uh, tech and anything that has uh, <laughs> anything that requires electricity or motors or things like that has been is very limited. That I'm from a family of engineers and I let them do all of that and I can talk to the humans <laughs> about our, our climate solutions and ocean solutions. Um, and maybe I can type up some computer notes from interviews with stakeholders. That's about it. Uh, and the beginning of my, my policy career has been very technology free as well. So I'm often relying on others to tell me about the hip technology and interesting uh, innovations that can really help save the world and save the ocean. Uh, and so during my Canals Fellowship last year when I was working on the Ocean Decade, I kept hearing about this ocean tech, you know, uh, kind of almost a startup, but helping others start up and bringing youth voices into it. And so it was all sorts of things that I thought was really hip and cool, which I am not for how many times that I'm saying hip in just this opener. But, and all these things had one thing in common and it was Sustainable Ocean Alliance, um, SOA, which will be our acronym of the episode. It's back. We've had a few episodes without it, uh, which I thought uh, you know, you don't know if it'll ever come back at some point, but SOA is the perfect example of coming back to this acronym of the episode. So since 2014, uh, SOA, so they've been around a little bit and I had just uh, kind of gotten hip to the to the vibe. I wonder how many times I can say hip in one podcast. We'll come back to it and we'll do a count at the end. Um, but SOA has been focused on adding youth voices and solutions uh, with a really entrepreneurial spirit into conversations around ocean climate action and collaborating to solve the greatest challenges facing our ocean today. So things like over fishing, plastic pollution, ocean mapping, you know, just little things, you know, not not these giant major issues that are uh, defining not only our ocean issues today, but also the ocean decade. And let me just share with you a few stats uh, that should help you understand just how impressive this organization is and how impressive their leader is. So I'm really excited to be able to, to have Daniela on today. But SOA has reached over 6,000 uh, young ocean leaders in over 165 countries. Uh, it's quite a virtual passport that the organization has racked up. Uh, and since 2014, since they started, SOA has accelerated uh, 45 ocean startups, provided over 175 micro grants in 65 countries, and recruited 180 mentors. And that list is growing um, in 23 countries to help the next generation hone their skills and contribute to the next generation of solutions. Uh, and I'll let our guest today give more details and any updates about the org and, uh, herself, but I'm really lucky enough to have the founder and the CEO of Sustainable Ocean Alliance, Daniela Fernandez, on the podcast this month. Thank you so much, Daniela, for, for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Taylor. I'm thrilled to be talking all things ocean and tech and innovation, so I'll, I'll be happy to help inform you and the listeners. That's so that's so great because yeah, like I said, I'm a paper and pen person. When they had sent me this uh, microphone to record, it was uh, it was a fun experience to try to get that set up. Um, but so let's just start with the basics. Uh, a little bit about who you are and what's been your path to the Ocean Decade. Sure. So I am the founder and CEO of Sustainable Ocean Alliance. I'm also the managing partner of Seabird Ventures, which is a venture arm of Sustainable Ocean Alliance, which I can also talk more about um, in our conversation. And uh, my path in the ocean decade, I guess it really goes back to 
when I was 19 years old and a freshman at Georgetown. Um, it was is great timing that we're having this conversation because I actually became aware of the role the ocean played in the larger ecosystem by attending a UN meeting. So I went to New York, took the train ride from uh, Georgetown to New York, <laughs> and I had the chance to to hear about the science, the science around what was going on with our ocean. And I think just to provide some perspective, a lot of people out there understand the reality of climate change, the climate crisis, but most people don't understand the role the ocean plays in the larger conversation. So um, my my journey began at that age of 19. And, um, and I can tell you more about the big realizations. But, you know, being a part of that UN meeting, I realized that one, uh, there were not enough young people in the room, as, as there should be, just given that this generation is inheriting all the problems that are, are taking place right now. And my second realization was that, Every single person that I got up and spoke on the podium at the UN, whether it be a CEO, a scientist, a head of state, they kept talking about how bad things are. They talked about the severity of the problems, as I'm sure you all, you know, but no one talked about solutions or entrepreneurship or any sort of blueprint forward. And, and to me, that was terrifying that I was sitting there looking for answers and no one was giving them to me. So that was my pathway into the uh, ocean decade. And that's, I think, uh, a lot of our, you know, early career listeners probably have felt the same way in a meeting or other. So that's a really, you know, understandable origin and story is that you are sitting at a meeting and you hear, you know, a, a gray haired, uh, tenured professor or senior level official saying, well, it's going to be really bad and we made it bad, but you got good luck with it. All you people, <laughs> you know, you next generation. And, and so to, to have an organization like SOA to be able to add the youth voice into this conversation and to provide that kind of more positive blueprint, like you were saying, uh, I think that's such a crucial role that, that you all play and you filled this, uh, Build this gap and this need within the ocean conversation. Thank you. And it's something that I always like to remind myself is that I built SOA because it's the type of organization and platform that I wish I had when I was starting my journey in the environmental ocean space because I had to build up my own network of, of mentors. I had to uh, find opportunities on my own to attend events, to gather more information about the ocean space. I didn't have that community that SOA now provides for young leaders. And, and that's something that we were very proud of at SOA is the fact that when you onboard as a young leader or you're onboarding as an entrepreneur, you already have this family built in, um, the family that's there to support you, that understands where you're coming from, that is going to be your support system in addition to funding, in addition to resources, tools, and the network. Um, and that's something that, again, when I was 19, I no one taught me how to build a nonprofit. No one taught me how to fundraise, how to you know manage you know, 30 employees now that we have at SOA. So it's been a, a journey for sure. And, and I hope that the work that SOA is doing now can help accelerate the ideas of these young people, um, as opposed to having them take, you know, a longer time to get there, um, like like it did for me. Because we don't, you know, have time to wait. That there, uh, we're uh, this episode is airing in the the middle of COP twenty six. You know, this giant climate conference that 
probably has been at the tip of everyone's tongue, uh, at least in the environmental and ocean space over the last few months, maybe even year, you know, since it was delayed last year with the COVID-19 pandemic. But um, so kind of shifting a little bit, but with that kind of the global, uh, <laughs> the global climate change in the balance, uh, and speaking specifically about COP, how do you think that uh, youth should or could be represented at COP? Uh, what, what would you like to be seeing happening there? And is SOA involved in, in COP at all this year? Yes, we are absolutely sending our youth representatives to COP. Uh, so we have um, some of our youth policy advisory council members attending. Um, one of the really exciting things that I'll share now is that when, when SOA, when we realized that the, the voices of youth were not represented enough in these policy conversations. The Youth Policy Council went out and surveyed uh, our young members and said, what are your concerns? What is something that is keeping you up at night? And, and the reality is that in the past, the youth voice was not being considered or, or even or even taken into account when making these policy decisions. So the Youth Policy Advisory Council created this Blue New Deal, which is a framework that anyone can look up. It's on their website. Um, and that just outlines the priorities for young people and what's important to them and what they want to see um, coming out of this negotiation. So I think it's the first time that it's you know a youth manifesto um, of sorts that world leaders can turn to and say, we're aligned with what young people are thinking or this is how we're responding to them uh, and so that's what one thing i hope to see as a response to our, our blue new deal and i also hope to see that young people aren't solely utilized as props uh, and you know given the stage for a couple minutes just to you know clap at them and, and, and awe at them but rather be taken seriously and and be continuously involved in the journey of these policy implementations and these negotiations which i think we need to just hold um world leaders and agencies accountable for yeah i think uh you hit the nail on the head with with a lot of that there and you know, that youth have opinions and voices and are need to be considered in policy decisions, even though they can't vote. And I think that's probably one of the biggest, uh, biggest, uh, you know, excuses that policymakers around the world use is that, you know, oh, I don't have to be accountable to them in the next election, not until they turn 18, 21, you know, whatever the voting age is. But uh, I think that's such a key asset of, of SOA. And so kind of coming back and uh, tell us a little bit more about the organization, the different facets. We've gotten into this Youth Policy Council a little bit, but what are the pillars of of Sustainable Ocean Alliance? Sure thing. So we have two key programs at the organization, the first one being the Ocean Leadership Program. And the Ocean Leadership Program focuses on, on young people that have an idea, they have a concept, whether it be planting mangroves or restoring coral reefs or educating their local communities about um, marine pollution. We bring them on to the ecosystem, give them access to mentors, uh, give them access to microgrant funding. So we are able to provide between $1,000 and $10,000 of microgrants so that young people can actually build something. And it's not just an idea. It's not just, um, you know, it, it's so hard for capital to come by for a young person, um, especially, you know, in areas outside of developed countries where there's a lot of scholarship opportunities. So, you know, putting this type of capital in the monies in, in the hand of, of young people, it's just such a critical step in saying, not only do we want to support you, but, you know, we're actually giving you the financial means to, to do so and to bring this idea to life. So that's our leadership program, um, in which you mentioned earlier, where we have uh, over 6,000 young leaders in over 165 countries. So that's one pillar of the organization. 
And then the second pillar is the accelerator program. And that program focuses more on the for-profit technology solutions that are one, scalable, um, have a for-profit bottom line, but also more importantly, when we screen these um, applications as, as they come in, we look for companies that are having a positive impact on the ocean. So all of the 45 companies we have supported um, are moving the needle in the sustainability of the health of the ocean. Um, and I can provide some examples um, as we continue our conversation, but it's just so important to to just, uh, you know, just continuously uh, remind people that we can't support companies that are in the ocean space, um, just as maritime transportation has in the past. We have to support companies that are having a benefit in the ocean space and transforming and disrupting industries that in the past have harmed the ocean instead of helped it heal. Yeah. And I love that term disrupting. You know, I think that's, uh, that it encapsulates really well, uh, all the different facets of SOA, you know, because you're bringing young people into conversations that were previously, you know, median age 65, that's disrupting it and disrupting, you know, these policy conversations saying, oh, this is going to be too difficult that, yeah, I, I love that kind of sentiment. You're, you're the, um, <laughs> you're the rebels of the ocean world in trying to bring these tech and young people solutions to, to scale and to, uh, to market. Absolutely. And it's all around the disruption and the re-engineering of industries. And that's a vision that I had for the organization uh, when I decided to go down this path is there are so many industries in, in the world. When you look at shipping, when you look at the fashion industry, when you look at, uh, you know, fishing for, for, for food, the reality is that all these industries exist, but no one has ever questioned how they're harming the environment. Past generations have looked at these industries uh, from the perspective of the bottom line, which is profit. But now we have the opportunity to change the way that we that we measure progress and instead say, hey, listen, if this company is going to be successful if it's sustaining the planet, if it's uh, you know benefiting the ocean or the environment, as opposed to simply looking at you know how much money they're making. And to me, that's the that's the the theory of change for a lot of these companies and young leaders, and to say that we don't want to settle for just the profit making aspect of it. Obviously, you need to make profit to scale these companies, but it goes hand in hand with enabling them to um, be sustainable. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, the dual combination of not only giving funds, you know, micro grants you, you talked about are so crucial, but that network and that leadership so that uh, they can present these solutions to to leaders already established and have the, the people in leadership positions now be able to hopefully retrain their brain and re <laughs> rethink about huh, what makes a good company, what makes a good solution, and how do we incorporate the ocean into our bottom line? Exactly. And that's why also, like I mentioned earlier, um, we launched Seabird Ventures, which is a, um, a venture fund. It's an uh, ocean impact investment. Yeah. Please tell me a little bit more about that, especially, yeah, venture fund. I know that <laughs> that buzzword, but not really what it means. Sure. So what we did at SOA is when companies were coming through our program, uh, we were only able to provide them, you know, around $25,000 worth of a check, um, which is meaningful. But the reality is that as these companies get bigger, they need larger chunks of change to scale, to hire their own, their own employees. Um, you know, they raise the next series of funding. Um, so we uh, launched a, a venture fund, um, which means that we can we can take 
for-profit capital um, in a larger amount and then deploy it to these companies. So now once a company exits the SOA accelerator program, they can actually, um, they're able to be considered for funding between $100,000 and $200,000 that we can provide as an investment into the company. So now we have, when you look at the financing spectrum, now we're financing work from thousand dollars up to two hundred thousand dollars worth of innovation through this new venture fund yeah and that's a much bigger much bigger pot and it probably allows you to you know uh what what i think has been really impressive too about soa's reach with some of these uh some of these initiatives is that you're not just saying oh we need to help uh solutions in underdeveloped countries or developing countries you're actually putting the money and the time and the people power into those into those companies and into those individuals to bring them into the the conversation and their their great ideas. Yes, and it's also the the support network, the best practices. Um, most people don't realize that when you're starting a company from an idea, from nothing, and building into something. It's a very lonely and difficult journey. So just having, uh, you know, colleagues that are going through the same process as you, uh, people that can share experience and give you advice and guidance. I mean, that's that's you know that's priceless. Um, so I, you know, in addition to the funding we provide, it's is really giving young people the sense of hope and the sense of community um, that in the past did not exist for uh, young people or entrepreneurs that are trying to make a change in the ocean space. Yeah, and that uh, kind of gets right into my next question and thinking about you did so many of these really great in person events pre COVID 19, you know, and so how have you maintained those connections and that kind of spirit of entrepreneurship and collaboration during COVID? And then how do you think that SOA can uh, retain some of this great virtual engagement you've been able to do over the past year, but, you know, build into hybrid events as well? So interestingly enough, we were already moving into a virtual program even before COVID hit. It was uh, oh lucky lucky <laughs> timing ish. Oh, that's a horrible thing to think, but yes, yeah, you know, I know what no, you mean. <laughs> you know, I think that we definitely. I think a lot of other organizations and companies were, uh, you know, dumbfounded by the fact that they had to pivot or you know or change everything to a virtual world. Where um, some of the learnings that we took from past accelerator programs was that. Some entrepreneurs simply could not leave their their families or you know their teams behind for six weeks and travel all the way to San Francisco um, to join our in person program. Or the cost also was so high that it didn't make sense for them. So we were already thinking about how can we make it more accessible for entrepreneurs to receive access to the content without necessarily traveling all the way to California, where uh, where our program was based. Given that we're global and that we you know take in. Um, entrepreneurs from all over the world so we were already in the process of building out that virtual programming and then of course COVID happened and we're like okay we're going all virtual now so it was um yeah no no on-ramp just full on (laughs) exactly it was an easier transition for us for sure and we hosted about five virtual summits um last year I think we did a uh, three or so this year We, we just have so many events now that it's hard to keep track of but Um, I I don't see that being a challenge going forward. I think that the world has just transformed into a hybrid, uh, you know, component. I'm sure we're going to have some type of in-person events coming up as the world opens up. But we also have access to the community that is now more attuned into the work we're doing virtually. We have webinar series. We have uh, you know one-on-one mentor opportunities that are happening virtually. We don't need to have 
mentors only take place in California now. Now we've been able to open that opportunity up. So it's been a wonderful change um, to just give the the virtual possibilities and to give more young people access to the the programs we have to offer. That's amazing. Yeah, I got to participate uh, on I was on a panel at one of your summits last year to talk about the ocean decade. Um, so it was I, I can be a testament to how the far reach of your virtual events in the past year and how a lot of other organizations, I think, can really learn going forward, especially, you know, bringing this back to the ocean decade and thinking about this decade is launched during a, uh, during a virtual world, you know, that there was talks at the time of pushing it back and decided, nope, we're going uh, virtual and this is how it's going to happen. And that's, it's an international issue and that's hard and you're dealing with time zones and different things. But I think that the, the fact that you know you added hubs and you added mentors and you added things over the the course of the COVID nineteen pandemic shows that people are hungry for ocean solutions and so the Ocean Decade uh, and SOA you know are both working toward the same thing. Absolutely, and I think it's also a level of inclusivity there that the virtual aspect of things has enabled us to include more people that may not have access to the programming or the events happening in, you know, in the U.S. or in other developed nations. Um, and with that, even internally, we're, we've now, my whole team is virtual. You know, I have people working in Australia and, and um, in France, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much all over the world. Um, and we're even bringing on um, a director of international affairs. So if I can do that plug in here and, and ask if anyone out there um, is interested in that Get your role. resume <laughs> in. Yeah. Yeah. We're actively looking for um, a director of international affairs. And, and the, the purpose here is to expand our return further and to enable us to serve all the communities that are out there and that you know need that support. That's that's perfect. I'm glad you guys are really thinking about growing in a really uh, purposeful way. Uh, and it that director of international affairs, you know, will probably have a lot to do with uh, your engagement within the ocean decade. But I wanted to you know ask what made you and uh, Sandal Ocean Alliance as an organization excited about getting involved with the Ocean Decade. You know, you started your ocean journey and creating SOA at a UN event. So it's kind of full circle that uh, you and SOA are now really involved with uh, with the Ocean Decade. Yes, I, I think that one of the um, most uh, scary and yet surprising of statistics is the fact that we know more about outer space than we know about the ocean (laughs) and I think that might even be a good tagline for the ocean decade because that's the goal is you know understanding the science behind what's happening in the ocean Um, so to us it's it's very important that we not only gather the data that we need to understand the ocean but that we then translate that information that we that we transfer all of that um, you know all those inputs into actionable items, whether it be uh, an activity or an event or, uh, you know, a startup. So for us, getting involved with the Ocean Decade meant supporting the work that the Ocean Decade is doing, um, you know, by supporting any information gathering, but more importantly, through the activations um, and tying all the work that our young leaders and entrepreneurs are doing, you know, within their own um you know, work work streams um, into the work that the Ocean Decade is doing. Um, and maybe I can just provide some examples now about the, the type of work that some of the companies are doing. Um, you know, one example is a company called CalWave. Um, and what CalWave is doing is they're using 
um, they're using wave energy. They're using the the movement of waves to translate that into reliable and affordable um, electricity for coastal communities, which is amazing. Because what most people don't know is that ocean waves are 20 to 60 times more energy dense. They're more predictable and they're more consistent um, than other forms of renewable energy. Unlike solar power, which only works when the sun is out. Um, you can actually use wave energy at night <laughs> and, you know, during winter and during storms. Imagine um, the full so moon one energy, you know, that all <laughs> when you when you get those lunar cycles coming in. Wow, we'll just get some crazy amounts of power from waves. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. Um, and I mean, just and the beauty of it being such a, a natural state of being the ocean just, you know, doing its, its thing <laughs> and us being able to benefit from the movement of, of the ocean. It's, I think, quite beautiful to think about. Um, instead of simply relying on fossil fuel. So, you know, that's just one example of, um, of you know, carbon reduction and an alternative to uh, fossil fuels that is contributing also to uh, the information and, and, you know, the ocean decade. Um, I guess another example that I'll give uh, is alternatives to plastic. And we also have to understand how much plastic is in the ocean. You know, how can we not only turn off the the tap of plastic, but also replace it. We have a company called Cruise Foam Technologies. Um, and what Cruise Foam is doing is they're actually using a bipolymer called chitin, um, which is a naturally uh, you know, occurring waste product in the seafood industry. And they're turning that into a replacement to styrofoam. And what's uh, fascinating is that styrofoam does not biodegrade whatsoever, it just lives on uh, you know, forevermore. So this replacement uh, of cruise foam is actually biodegradable and, you know, and able to be more um, in line with our nature. So just two examples of some uh, you know, fascinating companies that are contributing to um, the ocean decade space. Yeah, that it's a it's a laundry list of, you know, who's who of the future of ocean entrepreneurs, I think, uh, when if and when, you know, you uh, our listeners go and look at SOA's website, you can just get lost it, uh, for hours, I think, reading into all of these companies and getting excited about, like, I got really excited reading about all these companies because it's always, uh, you know, there's so much happening in the ocean space and so much that needs to happen that it's almost, I don't know if you get the same feeling, Danielle, but I'm almost relieved when I hear that people are working on that. It's like, Oh, good. Someone's thinking about plastics because uh, so I don't have to, you know, I'm already trying to do my own thing and focus on how I'm going to help, you know, save the world. And so it's it's beautiful seeing this whole smorgasbord of people focused on saving the ocean in their own niches and then coming together through SOA. It's just beautiful. Thank you. And I do. I feel so hopeful and, and inspired when I meet these entrepreneurs, when I hear about their work. Uh, recently, I was in another um, uh, interview and they asked me, they're like, well, why didn't you go and you know create your own ocean tech company instead of creating SOA? And I mean, it's a fair question. <laughs> and I think my, my response was that I didn't want to just solve one problem. I wanted to solve them all. And and the way to do that, you know, from my my background, uh, you know, having studied economics and government, which was through this macro level approach of, of really mobilizing as many solutions as possible in every single industry so that we have options. And unlike the tech space where it's, you know, very cutthroat and competitive, these entrepreneurs are collaborating. They're working with each other. They're, you know, sharing opportunities, you know, 
some folks that may be in the seaweed industry um, are working with others because it's such a nascent space where it's full of opportunities. And the more that companies can go out there and, and try a, a technique and fail, the more we can learn from them. So it, it's beautiful to also see that level of collaboration and, um, and, and community that exists in the space. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's very uplifting. And I love, that's why I love recording these podcasts, because it's cool to see how all these different people are contributing to the ocean decade in such different ways. And so one of the ways that you personally and through SOA2 are, are getting involved is through uh, this Ocean Innovation Prize uh, with Blue Climate Initiative, uh, which is an endorsed program of the Ocean Decade. You're one of the high-level judges. And I know that applications were due and there was, uh, I think, somewhere like 236 applications from across the globe and including from over 40 from island uh, states, which is awesome. So what was that? Uh, I know you're probably in the middle of that judging process and you can't give things away, but... Um, how was that an inspiring process that's, you know, kind of different from you looking through your accelerator things as well, but uh, along the same sorts of lines and getting to see these really interesting innovation prize applications? Definitely. It was, um, I would say that it was a different breadth of applications. We, we definitely received a, a much wider variety um, of innovations, which was exciting. And uh, we will be announcing the, um, the semifinalists uh, during, uh, during COP. So it might be a good timing for the podcast is, you know, playing at this time. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so we'll have some semifinalists announced then. And, you know, I think that what's really exciting is the fact that there is so much creativity out there. And when you look at the explosion of entrepreneurship during, you know, the past 10 to 20 years, um, it's, it's, it's comparable, if not higher than when you look at the industrial revolution. Um, and we're seeing that the need exists now for more people to have, you know, ingenuity and to be inventors, to, to really like think differently about the day to day and, and not continue following the status quo. And those are some of the ideas that came forth through the, um, the, the competition that we saw. Um, so I, I'm really excited to announce the finalists and, you know, to see um, what other people we can inspire to get more involved in, in this space. Yeah, especially because it's just, you know, the very beginning of the ocean decade, just the first year. And so it'll be great to see, you know, what what can build and grow and how uh, things that happen in five years time build on the successes of what's happening right now. Absolutely. And, and you know, also, it's um it's a very nascent space for a lot of these entrepreneurs. So to your point, uh, having the the ocean decade being its first year, and we're already gathering a lot of impact data, um, understanding, you know, what their challenges are. I can't wait to see where we are, you know, in, in the final year of the decade to, um, to analyze and understand the progress that has been made. Yeah, exactly. And so I know we've said this a few times throughout the episode, and I just want to especially make it clear for myself and maybe some of the other uh, non-techie people who are listening, but to you, what is an entrepreneur? You know, what does that person look like? What characteristics they encapsulate? How do you, uh, you know, not only take them in during SOA, but help facilitate the creation of ocean entrepreneurs? So it's it's great that you ask this because um, I I try to make it more of an inclusive definition. Of course, the uh, the traditional definition, especially coming from Silicon Valley, it's you know you have to be building some type of software technology and and um, you know you have to have um, have built this out of your you know your your parents' basements. But the way that I like to think about it is 
Do you have a, a skill set, a passion? Do you have something that that drives you? And how are you then using that passion and skill set um, and, and building something that does not exist? Um, I also believe that entrepreneurs can be found in corporations. How are you talking or, or, or nonprofits? You know, how are you changing the way things are operating? Um, so I believe that an entrepreneur, it's, it's truly a mentality, a mentality of not settling for what is simply because it's the way it's existed um, and rather focusing on, on being creative and changing things a little bit, um, whether it be on your own by, you know, launching something new or with a non-existing institution. That's, uh, I, that's a really heartening definition and how we, we think about entrepreneurs and that term I think has maybe for some people, at, le at least thinking for me, like it's, it's a scary term almost, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not doing new things, you know, but I think that that more holistic definition that you, you just gave us helps us. I think people in the ocean space, especially scientists, you know, who work in the ocean space and have thought, you know, here's the traditional path for going forward. Um, they might realize that they can be entrepreneurs too, and not just, you know, people from the business world coming over and learning the science and being able to apply it and be useful. But anyone can think of themselves almost as an entrepreneur, it sounds like from, from the way that you were describing it. Yes. And we need more people that that just have a desire to help our ocean get involved. Um, a lot of the questions that I get is, do I have to become a marine biologist to get a job in the ocean space? Or do I have, do I need a PhD? And the reality is that you don't. If you're a marketer, if you're a finance person, if you are into design, you can contribute. You can you know, join a, a startup. You can join a nonprofit that is doing the work that you love. Um, so the more that we can make it accessible for people to enter the ocean sector and for them to feel like they are uh, valued and they can make a contribution that's more tangible, the better off we'll be because we need more people that are, are changing their jobs. I'm sure a lot of you have seen the the recent headlines of the, the mass quittings that are happening um, globally because, and, and, it, and it's really targeting around millennials. And the reason is that millennials are seeing that they've gone through maybe three, four years of, of working the traditional jobs and they're not finding purpose, they're not fulfilled. So how can we bring all of those unfulfilled millennials and bring them into, <laughs> into you know, meaningful causes um, like the ocean space, like saving our planet. And so I think that the, the better off we will be if we are utilizing these definitions like entrepreneurs or innovators uh, in the more inclusive way. That's almost like the name of what like a sad band is, you know, like a punk band is the, the unfulfilled millennials. Like I can just imagine them headlining, headlining like... <laughs> We will call them the, the hip unfulfilled millennials. There you go. Oh gosh. Yeah. See, you're so much cooler than I am. And it's, it's just, I'm going to have to live with that and that's okay. Um, but I think what you hit on, uh, and is something that I've been trying to emphasize throughout my time talking about the ocean decade is the fact that we don't need necessarily more microbiologists or more, you know, dolphin scientists or things like that. We need people in lots of fields and lots of places, because that's where you bring in these different sorts of knowledge, these different stakeholders that haven't been at the table before, these different perspectives, these different, you know, voices into these discussions. And that's how we end up with a different ocean in 2030 than we had when the ocean decade started in 2020. It's only through widening that lens and bringing in 
marketing people who care about the ocean and fashion people who care about the ocean, you know, and et cetera. That's the only way we're going to make change. Because if we still, if we have the same 10 people in a room having this conversation in 10 years, then we have, I think, failed as the ocean decade overall. Yes, I completely agree. And um, I unfortunately can't uh, speak about it right now because we haven't launched it yet. But uh, we are building a program at SOA that is going to target that audience specifically. So if you fall into that category of being a hip, unfulfilled millennial (laughs) or or really... Stay stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned. Um, I mean, really, it's about just broadening the opportunities for anyone that has a very specific skill set and enabling them an entry point into into the ocean sector. Um, so definitely stay tuned on that. And I, I agree. I think that the only way to to bring more people into the fold is to remove the, the barriers of entry and remove the fear of you have to have a science background. I mean, I give myself an example all the time. I am not a marine biologist. I, you know, I did not study the sciences. I, I you know, again, I, I was more on the governmental economic side of things. And I learned everything in the ocean space. It was all through experience, through teaching myself, uh, you know, through being a part of the ecosystem where I gathered, you know, most of my experience and expertise. Um, So just taking that into perspective, it's important for a young person that is questioning what to do with their lives. And I know a lot of young people, you know, think that any career outside of the climate space is pointless at this point, which I would, I think I'd agree with them. Definitely. I, th- I know that we're from this biased perspective, but you de- utilizing the, you know, the energy and the passion and the drive and the different skill sets of all of these, uh, of the next generation coming forward is, is how we're going to succeed. Absolutely. And, and we also need to make sure that, um, that we incorporate, uh, you know, this intergenerational cooperation because, I, I would never say that young people are going to solve this crisis on their own. It's just not real. And nor would I say that, you know, the older generation, are, they're going to solve this on their own. The reality is that we need the the energy, the push, the the ambition, you know, the, uh, you know, the type of um, incentives that young people are, are giving the world right now. We need them, but we also need the experience, the expertise, the knowledge, and the wisdom of other generations to come together and to solve for this crisis. Um, so when we talk about you know a generational approach, it really has to be both working hand in hand, and um, you know one mentoring the other, and, and vice versa to to do work um, that will make a real difference here. Yeah, that's completely uh, on the same page with that, with you, with this. Uh, I've been really involved with this early career ocean professional network that's formed in the wake of the ocean decade. And that's exactly the idea is that we need intergenerational, you know, understanding and cooperation and, uh, you know, working together in order to make things a success. Um, so I, it's, it's great to hear you kind of espousing that same thing. And so how do you think that the ocean decade can better involve, uh, bring in that intergenerational perspective into everything it does, you know, not just in a single program or a single thing, but how can the ocean decade overall take advantage of the benefits of intergenerational thinking and work? I would say that it really comes down to um, how inclusive, you know, the decade is being of of getting people involved, you know, whether it is uh, through projects or events um, or even pairings. I think there's a lot of value in pairing 
folks uh, that may not know each other, that may not find each other, um, so that they can work in tandem, whether it be a corporation with an entrepreneur or a, a nonprofit, you know, with another nonprofit. Um, so there's something to be said about having the value of bringing people together um, that may not be in the same world so that we can tackle this um, intergenerationally. And and one of the projects that we're doing is uh, as a way partner with the Friends of Ocean Action um, to build this mentor-mentee relationship. So we have members of our youth policy council that are paired with um, some of the friends um, uh, and it's been fascinating to see the work that they're already building and the initiatives and the ideas that are coming to life so that's just you know one very concrete example of some of the work that we've done oh that's so cool can you go into a little bit more detail about that because i think that that's such for and tell people a little bit about the friends of ocean action who don't know uh what that is maybe yeah, so the Friends of Ocean Action um, was, or actually is an initiative of uh, the World Economic Forum, um, and it was um, meant to bring together, uh, you know, at the time it was 40, um, you know, top ocean leaders in the space. Um, I'm one of the friends, and, and the goal there was to, you know, bring this group together who are fast-tracking these solutions to the largest ocean challenges. Um, and, you know, there's some amazing folks in there, like um, the chairs of, of the Friends are, you know, Peter Thompson, who is the uh, UN Secretary General Special Envoy for the Ocean, and Isabel Lavin, who is the former Deputy Prime Minister of Sweden. And, and these are phenomenal folks um, that any young person would, you know, would love to have as a mentor. So what we've done is we've we've selected um, a few of the friends to be one-on-one mentors to our youth leaders, the folks that are uh, working on this um, on this youth policy paper. And you know we're seeing a lot. You know again, awesome ideas are forming. Um, we just launched a couple of uh, weeks ago, so there's nothing uh, you know specific that I can point to, but um, we can definitely do a second podcast on and, and describe all the ideas that have come out of that of those partnerships. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of initiative. That's so cool. I just I love that idea. And I hadn't heard that that was going on too. But just that's a really concrete way of, uh, you know, practicing what we preach in terms of the importance of intergenerational diversity and ensuring that youth voices are there. And I don't know about you, but I want to have a title as long as Peter Thompson's one day, just like, you know, the more you add on to it, the the more important you are. If, if, if your title has anything to do for the ocean, I think we're, we're, we're solid. That's, uh, you reach, you know, life goals when that happens. Yeah. If you can speak on behalf of the whole ocean, you know, oh, that's so funny. The one last little like uh, kind of substantive piece that I wanted to touch on because I, uh, I think is really important and I'd love to, you know, do a whole episode on this in the future too is, uh, is gender in the ocean decade um, and that kind of balance as well. So how have you incorporated that piece of, of diversity into SOA's mission and how do you think, I'd love to hear your opinion on, you know, including gender in in the ocean decade and the same way we talk about intergenerational diversity, how do we make sure that, um, you know, all genders are part of the ocean solutions on a global level? Well, the the reality is that we need more role models to show, uh, you know, young girls and women that they can be leaders in the ocean space, that that they can get involved. Um, At SOA, one of the 
I guess the comments I, I mostly get from our, our young leaders or entrepreneurs is the fact that they were inspired and they felt like that they could do something because they saw me as a role model. They saw the work that I've been doing. Um, so it's it just makes you blush, doesn't it? Oh, shucks. It's more <laughs> my heart uh, to know that, you know, it's not just about building this organization, but just changing the lives of, of young girls and, and knowing that in the past, they didn't even know that this was a possibility for them. Um, and at SOA, I'm, I'm really proud to say that we have um, 55% um, of, of youth that identify as, you know, as, as women. Uh, we have 42 as men, and then we have 3% that, you know, um, just identifies as they and them. So we have built this amazing community. And and it's, it's really cool because we haven't necessarily had to push for it, it's been an organic, you know, beautiful diversification of, of young women and young men. Um, and I think it all stems from the culture that we're building at the organization in celebrating each other and celebrating our, what, you know, what makes us unique and what makes us different. Um, and so, you know, I think when people ask, like, what initiatives have you taken to have more women? It's like, we haven't done anything other than just be open and welcome everyone to be a part of the organization um, and giving them access to those role models and access to, you know, that, that ability to believe in themselves, no matter who they are, no matter, you know, what, um, what world they're coming from. And that's what I'm also very proud of is just seeing that beautiful family atmosphere that we have built at SOA. Yeah, I think because people uh, and women especially are are drawn. I know I am as a as a woman drawn to organizations that are led by women because it's just it's amazing to get to see someone who you know you can identify with and understand. That's why representation is is needs to be such a big piece of the decade going forward. Um, but you know you you give off this great energy, Danielle, and you give off this great you know passion for what you do, and I think that you're. Uh, accelerators and the and your leaders that you bring forward reflect that same energy that you really um, are helping build an organization that will be here, you know, to the decade and be, the end of the decade and beyond. I, I appreciate that, and you know, I think that as a founder, one of what I've defined as success is having SOA hopefully at someday not exist because we've solved the world's oceans problems and. And, you know, the, 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 the vision that we have at the organization is to solve um, ocean health in our lifetime. And, and putting that pressure um, is something that resonates with our generation because we are, we are sick and tired of hearing the, you know, by the year 2050 um, commitment from world leaders. And what I appreciate about the ocean decade is that it's very timely and it's setting up short-term milestones and goals and something tangible for us to work towards as opposed to building these, you know, 20 to 30 year um, goals and aspirations that people that are in power may not even be around to fulfill. And so I think that's when I have a problem with these big goals where we need to have a little bit more accountability for folks that are making um, these, you know, flashy marketing driven uh announcements. Yeah, they don't have to follow through on necessarily. Uh, they won't be the ones <laughs> that have to uh, answer to, to stakeholders and to the globe when when those things come due. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
is we kind of, uh, we, we accidentally like preempted one of the, the last questions, something that I ask uh, everyone when you talked about, you know, what the future of SOA looks like, but going back broader and speaking about the ocean decade overall, uh, by 2030, what would be, in, in you looking back, what would be a successful decade according to you? What are a few things or one thing or multiple things that can happen that you can look back and say, okay, we did a lot during these past 10 years and it was for, for the good of the ocean? I would, I'll just give you one thing. And the one thing that I'll say is being, being able to bring more funding into the ocean space. Um, right now, SDG 14, um, Sustainable Development Goal 14, the ocean is the, is the most underfunded of all SDGs, which is sad and it's shocking to some people. But the reality is that we don't have enough capital, whether it be for scientific research, for the understanding of, you know, gathering ocean data, for nonprofits, for entrepreneurial affairs, for grassroots projects. We need to bring more capital in. Um, and that only is going to happen if we educate philanthropists, if we educate investors, if we educate multinational institutions as to how they can get involved. So um, I would encourage all of us, regardless of what area you're working in, to do your part in bringing more capital into this space. Um, and because even if we have the best ideas to solve uh, the ocean's biggest problems in this decade, unless we have a capital behind it, we're not going to advance. Um, so that would be a, a goal of mine uh, for the ocean decade. I love that because that's something I've never heard anyone. That's why I love bringing on different guests each month as I get to hear a different goal and think about the ocean decade in a totally different way. But that's so true, especially even when you just look at you know, conservation funding or environmental funding, ocean funding pales in comparison to on land funding, you know, that you fund grasslands or rivers or other things on, on land that I care slightly less about because I'm an ocean nerd. But yeah, that bringing in of more capital, that's like a number we can point to at the end of the decade. Exactly. And and making sure that people understand the importance of the ocean. I cannot tell you how many times I've spoken to highly intelligent people that are still surprised at the fact that we receive more than 50% of, of our oxygen from the ocean or the fact that you know the ocean sequesters carbon and the role of algae and seaweed. And it's, and it's shocking because these people should know. <laughs> people in general should know. Yeah. No name dropping. That's for the Ocean Decade Show After Dark. That's our, <laughs> that's our late night podcast episode. But yeah, it's, it's sad, but it's probably very true that it's a common common occurrence during your conversations. Exactly. It's, it's a misconception is lack of, of, of understanding and knowledge. And I think that's exactly why we need to educate and just bring it up during, you know, dinner conversation or on your Instagram or in your tweet, just like spread the word about the role the ocean plays. Um, I like to call the ocean the beating heart of our planet. And, um, you know, the, the, the rainforest has been known as the lungs, which again, the, it's not really the lungs, but if we want to talk about the importance of the ocean, I think the heart plays a more superior role there. The rainforest just has had a better publicist um, over time, but the ocean's getting some better publicists and some better funding and uh, some better spokespeople uh, like yourselves and all like yourself in SOA in general and all the, the great youth leaders that you're, you're pushing forward. Um, so where can the audience go to learn more about uh, both SOA and then what SOA is doing with the ocean decade? Yes, you can um, go to soalliance.org. Um, we 
pretty much with all of our information on there. We'll also include information there about what we're doing with the Ocean Decade. Um, so just check that out. And then personally, um, you can just follow me. I'm, I'm pretty good at, on Instagram. So I'm at DV Fernandez on Instagram. And, um, and we also have at SO Alliance on Instagram. So you can find us there. Great. Thank you so much, Daniela, for this was such a fun conversation and help. Thanks for helping me understand what venture capital is and, and entrepreneurs and all of these buzzword terms that I that I've heard about and some of these really fascinating tech solutions. I'm glad that I don't have to think of them, that I'm glad that uh, you are helping facilitate these really smart brains in a completely different way than mine. That's what's always super fascinating is to see how smart people are in different ways and putting all their smarts toward uh the good of the ocean and the good of the ocean decade. Thank you. And I appreciate you bringing all these voices together through this podcast. So thank you so much. Thanks everyone. And we'll talk to you next month. <laughs>